You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome, good afternoon, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all with another edition of the Drive Time Show this afternoon, this Friday afternoon, with myself, Kayum, and as always, joining me, my partner in crime, Brother Daniel. And yes, we are missing Brother Raza, um, but we will not talk about that. That's <laughs> at least for at least for the next one hour. I am, yes. I'm not allowed to say anything to incriminate myself, so <laughs> <laughs> you, you might get in trouble. Absolutely. That's it, <laughs> brother Daniel. Good afternoon. Assalamualaikum. Peace be on you, brother. Good afternoon. Peace be on you and all the listeners. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good week. Yes, uh, an amazing week actually. So I was on holiday. I was um, in Istanbul. And uh, that, and that was enough from Brother Daniel. We know <laughs> what I hear about your holiday when I haven't been on one. No, really. Yeah, it was good. The weather was nice. great. Okay. And uh, yes, so I had a family holiday um, after a few, after some time, I should say. So it was good. Yeah, good break. I never understand. I could see I could never do what you did. What does that mean? A few days. Of, I don't understand this concept in the West of having oh. a holiday. A few days, weekend breaks. That's not a holiday. What a few months is a holiday for you then? Well, you could have at least three weeks. <laughs> That's a holiday. You take yearly holidays. So I have, yes. Brother, I, 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 I actually, I'm on holiday this year. I, I took I took a year out once. <laughs> I'm you, sure you could you, do that. You, yes. No, but how can you have? Yeah. How can you have time? Because yeah, exactly. Because us lesser mortals who still need to work to to earn a living, <laughs> can only afford to do that. Because you are in the you are in the prison of capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Nice segue to the <laughs> to what we are about to talk about. Exactly. We, as always, we are here to we are we are here to talk about two. Um, important topics that uh, don't get talked about enough. Hence, Voice of Islam always picks up on these topics that need to be aired. We are going to be talking about prisons and we're going to be talking about reforming of prisons. UK prisons in need of reform. That's the topic of uh, the first topic of the afternoon from four to five o'clock. We will be talking to some experts in the field um, who will be giving us an insight into um what is needed um, or whether it's needed at all um, to reform the UK prisons. And from five o'clock onwards, we're going to be talking about holy books. Um, We're going to be talking about, you know, what is a holy book? We're going to be talking about different holy books. We're Mm. going to be talking about within Islam Ahmadiyya, how we cherish all the holy books. Correct. Um, You know, contrary to what popular belief is, not Mm. just the Holy Quran. Yes, the Holy Quran is the word of God, and that is the the key book uh, that Muslims follow because that is the ultimate and the final word of God Almighty. However, before this holy book, there were many other holy books, and right. that will be the topic from 5 to 6 o'clock. If you wish to contribute to any of our topics, feel free to give us a call, 0208-687-7878, or you can join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. But... For the first hour, we are asking a question on our Instagram story. How can we stop prisoners reoffending? If you don't want to contribute, but do please go on to our Instagram story and give us your opinion. What do you think um, needs to be done uh, for prisoners to be stopped reoffending? Brother Daniel, what's the what's the gist of what's the intro to what we are going to be talking about in the first hour? Yeah, so. The gist really for me uh, and what really um, uh, what really strikes uh, very, very hard at me 
is the statistic, uh, the statistics that uh, when I look at. So when you look at the, the stats, we're talking about prisoners and prisoners reoffending. And when you look at uh, just some numbers, so there are close to about 90,000 prisoners wow. um, in, um, in the UK at the moment. And uh, that's according to uh, the Ministry of Justice. And in Leeds, uh, formerly known as Armley Prison, this is a Category B prison and has a capacity of 641, but at the moment has approximately 1,112 prisoners. That's about 173% of its capacity. Um, so it's overcrowded. It's overcrowded. Similarly, similar statistics for Durham, Wandsworth, um, you know, capacity of 950, population of, of 1550. Lincoln, capacity of 403. Um, at the moment, six hundred housing six hundred and fifty-one prisoners. Uh, Preston, four twenty-six, and uh, housing six seventy-eight. So that I think is the issue um, with the overcrowding issue. So I guess we're talking about reoffending, and the point I'm I'm trying to make is that uh, how can you stop? How can you even think about prisoner welfare? which is really at the heart of the issue that we're talking about, which is trying to stop people from reoffending if the prisons themselves are uh, overcrowded to the extent they are at the moment. Would you say that the pandemic made this worse because prisons was a, a an option that the authorities had available to them to maybe protect? Oh, oh, I mean, maybe protect is the wrong word, but in their mind that to protect them from COVID and to um, empty the streets, people were put. Because I do know um, that where before it used to be one cell per person, now it's a lot of prisons are having to double up, meaning two prisoners to a cell, um, which has led to the figures that you have just quoted, the statistics, yeah. where people have um, doubled up. So do you think COVID, and I know it's become a bit of an excuse for politicians mm. that COVID did this, COVID exactly. did that. Exactly. I mean, the, the point that uh, I was going to make in response to the question you posed. So yes, I think COVID has certainly exacerbated the situation, but I don't think that is where the the, the issue originates. Okay. And I also don't think that um, the issue really here is lack of funding for decades and decades. Mm -hmm. That is the issue. Uh, obviously, when when crises uh, happen, when there there is a pandemic, the things will get worse, and it, they did get worse, so it did exacerbate. But the issue really at hand at the moment is lack of funding and and uh, total apathy, I would say, uh, from the government. In chapter four, verse one three six, the Holy Quran it says, "O ye who believe, be strict on observing justice and be witnesses of Allah, even though it's against yourselves or against parents and kindred." Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah Almighty is well aware of what you do. And according to the Holy Quran, God has bestowed an honor on every individual, irrespective of their skin color, race, nationality. Freedom is one of the great favors of God Almighty, and his deprivation is a great misery. Under the Islamic dispensation, no one can be made a captive without a just cause, regardless of the need for justice outlined by the Holy Quran and various other Islamic teachings that we will mention um, later in the show. There is still a shocking disregard 
for prisoners. And, you know, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once said, Prisoners shall live in comfort. Muslims should care more for the comfort of for their prisoners than for their own. Now, this might seem like, hold on, hmm. Islam is talking about, um, you know, prisoners living in prisoners living in comfort. How does that work? Exactly, absolutely, and 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 nobody would, in the, in the media would ever you know talk about anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and would talk about uh, the way prisoners were actually treated in uh, in Islam, especially in early Islamic history. Let's go now straight to our first guest for this segment, Peter Holloway, who is the chief executive of the charity Prison Fellowship. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Peter, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you very well. Excellent, so can I. Uh, uh, peace be unto you as well. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Peter, before we go into um, into the um, uh, the solutioning of the issue we're talking about, paint us yeah. a little bit of picture uh, as to what it is like at the moment to be in a UK prison. I think that anyone who has any contact with the uh, UK prison system at the moment um, would say that it's uh, not in a good place. Um, I think even uh, the, the government's own chief inspector um, would, uh, if you look at his last report from 22-23, uh, he cited um, a whole series of failures, including insuffic insufficient prison officer numbers, um, inexperience of staff, um, overcrowding, um, poor delivery, um, by uh, prison education providers. Um, rates of violence continue to be far too high uh, with assaults on staff uh, and on other prisoners being a problem in, in many, many prisons. And this isn't uh, just a, a short-term issue. This has been around for a very long time. Um, people might be shocked to know that two-thirds of our prisons are now overcrowded. But the prison estate itself has been overcrowded every year since 1994. So this is, this is not something that's just been you know, around with a little bit. Uh, there are big effects from COVID, um, but, but this is a problem we've had for a, a very long time in our, in our prison system. Would it be fair to say, Peter, then, that uh, prisons have actually become hotbed um, for creating more criminals as opposed to reforming them, which is what they're supposed to do? Uh, people say that. I, I don't know whether that's, um, we could say there's evidence to say that, but that is something that people say. And I think w what it would be true to say is that people are not being rehabilitated in prison. Hmm. What's happening is that they're going in, and we know that over 40% of adults will reoffend within the first 12 months of them coming out of prison. And if they do a short sentence, um, that number increases to more like 60% of reoffending in the first 12 months. And for younger people, uh, it goes even higher towards 70%. So what we know is that prison isn't able to, to do one of the, the jobs that it's there to do. You know, prisons are there, yes, they're there for punishment, um, but they're there, uh, and they're there for public safety, of course. But they're, they're also there for rehabilitation, mm. to help people move away from crime. And, and we know the statistics, unfortunately, uh, are not there. And 
I don't think prisons really have a chance of doing that at the moment. They just don't have the resources um, that are required in order to be able to do that. And I feel very sorry for prison staff and prison governors who are really, really battling against the tide in order to help um, move that in, in the right direction. Mm. Peter, uh, good afternoon. Welcome, peace be on you. Um, I, I appreciate the, the, you know, the, the statistics, Brother Daniel and yourself yeah. talked about that two thirds of prisons are are mm. overcrowded, and we tend to focus on just this single-handed issue. But you mentioned the word rehabilitation, yeah, and that's a question we're asking our listeners as well. What do we need to do to mm. ensure that prisoners don't reoffend? Yeah, as much as we focus on the the habitat and mm. the lack of, I should say, within the standards of, of housing prisoners, shouldn't similar importance need to be given on treatment? And treatment doesn't cost money. Mm. Why don't we focus on how we treat prisoners um, in resp- or how we provide provisions from an education point of view? Mm. Surely, I'm not saying that will work for everyone, but surely that's a good beginning. And we seems to we seem to be giving that a miss, or am I incorrect, or am I being altruistic? I think I think you're right. Um, I think there is an attitude in the UK, particularly in uh, the tabloid press, that says you know we should just lock people up and throw away the key. Yep. Um, and I don't think that helps. I don't think that attitude is prevalent in some other countries. I'll talk about that in, in a moment. But I, I think this attitude that says, you know, lock them up, throw away the key, we don't want to know about them anymore. And that, that's a, firstly, that's a terrible thing. And it's, it's something that, you know, as people of faith, we're, um, it is not, shouldn't be our attitude. You know, we, we know that um, Jesus said, you know, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters and my, you did for me. Yeah. Um, and, and we are told, you know, we, we should go in and we should be kind, uh, as you were saying earlier. We should um, come alongside prisoners and we should love them and help them away. Um, the problem that most people, I, don't, I think, in the UK don't realise is that 99% of people who go into prison will come out. Yes. <laughs> um, mm. You know, that, that is, that's a real number. Mm. And if we don't rehabilitate them, then they'll come out in a worse state than they went in. Uh, if you treat people badly, then they will respond b- badly in turn back to you. We, we, we know this. And I think, you know, one of the terms that even the chief inspector of prisons has been using, you know, um, uh, who's part of the Ministry of Justice, he uses the term warehousing. He says that we're essentially just warehousing people. We're putting them in, in a warehouse and we're not re, not giving them the chance to rehabilitate. And that's because we, the prison system isn't given the resources it needs to be able to do that. And, and that's, that is down to the number of people we have in prisons looking after people in prison. But the numbers of people in, in prison are going up and the number of staff that they're struggling to recruit and therefore, it is very difficult to get people away from their cells, get them out of their cells, get them into education, get them into good rehabilitation programs. You know, Prison Fellowship, we, we run good programs, rehabilitation programs, um, one called Sycamore Tree and lots of other good things. And so do other lots of other charities. But also the government needs to take its part as well. 
And, and not enough of that is happening. We, we know this from the statistics. And therefore, when people come out, they are moving back into criminality more than they're not moving back into criminality over time. And that is not what society needs. We, we, we don't need that as a society. We want the opposite to be happening. Peter, this, this problem of overcrowding, how long mm. have we had it uh, for now in the UK? Is it something we've always had or is it something which has exacerbated over the past two, three decades? I think in living memory, we can say we've always had it. Mm. Um, statistically, um, you can see that the prison state has been overcrowded every every year since the mid-90s. Um, and what is adding to that is that um, the government themselves are saying they're going to increase the number of people in prison. They're going to add another 20,000 places at a cost of two to three billion pounds, when for me that money, money should be spent on rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the reasons that putting more people in prison isn't a particularly good idea is that there is no correlation anywhere in the world between the number of people you lock up and reducing crime. We know this. This is factual. If you lock up more people, it doesn't reduce crime. Now, we all accept that some people have to be locked up, of course, for public safety and, and because that's that's what society says. But we also know that if you give people community senses and sentences for lower levels of crime, for non-violent crime, those community sentences actually better rehabilitating people, and that reduces crime. And I simply do not understand why we're not doing more of that community work with people, because it's, it's good for society. It leaves people in their family units, which helps them and helps their family, and it helps reduce crime, and it's less costly. Costly. It costs tens of thousands of pounds every year to keep somebody in prison, and mm. and it's you know we're seeing these numbers go up, and it's not the right thing to be doing. Isn't that Peter? Then a question for judiciary, or do you think that they are also under pressure because of the narrative that the tabloids and the society generally carries? I think the judiciary does play a part, but. The main driver of the numbers going up, as quoted by um, the MOJ themselves, is the number of police in society. So the government has said it wishes to increase the number of police, and they're doing that. And if you increase the number of police in society, you increase the number of arrests, you increase the number of convictions. And it is now simply stated by the Ministry of Justice that they are increasing the number of police significantly so that there will be another 20,000 people predicted um, in in our prisons by about 2026, uh, which is a huge increase um, going forward. So yes, the judiciary play a, a role in that, but actually it's a, in a sense it's a little more simple than that. If you just put more police on the streets, they will make more arrests. Mm. Peter, one question comes to mind. You mentioned mm. rehabilitation. Yeah. And we always talk about rehabilitation. Break it down for me. What does rehabilitation mean? I think it can, it can mean lots of different things. Um, there are different pathways that we know lead towards a better life, lead to a transformed life. Um, one of them, for example, is education. And we know that education um, 
if you educate someone, if you um, give them education, that helps them. Um, family, uh, people might not realize this, but um, if you maintain family links with people, um, then that helps them move forward. Community is part of that as well, and it's why faith communities are so important, have a role in this, that if we can help people move out, um, hold on to their faith in prison, and then as they come out, move back to their faith community, and their faith community can welcome them, that can help. Um, other, other things um, in, in terms of the transformation um, pathways are things like drug and alcohol. If someone has a drug and alcohol problem, then of course that is going to um, lead them towards criminality. And so it's you know, simple things like this. The, this is not, yes, it's complex, and yes, it's difficult, and yes, it is very hard to, to, for people to move away from crime, but actually that these basic pathways of things like um, educating people, helping them in terms of their drug and alcohol problems, helping them with their families, those sorts of things. We can break those down and we can all play a part in those. And those rehabilitation programs can really help people move away. And I know that in, in the end, that's what everybody wants. Now, you've mentioned faith communities. And yeah. when I think back, and, and, and I know people who've served time, and one thing I've noticed in loads of people, faith is the only, faith has been the only success story within prison for certain, for, for individuals in a sense where people find God mm-hmm. in, in, in when they're incarcerated. I know so many people who come out as born-again Christians. I know so many people come out and say, I've, I, it made me get in touch with God Almighty up, and, and I became a, a um, um, a believer, a believer, um, and oh, yeah. I I got in touch with Allah um, when I was yes. in prison, and and I have seen so many success stories from a faith point of view. Yeah, in prisons, yet we don't tap into faith communities, not to run things, but to guide governments in look. Faith works. For faith mm-hmm. is. Um, Faith isn't just about praying. Faith is way of life, and and we need to we need to open some channels between um, these people who are incarcerated and faith communities to so allow them to maybe talk about and have discussion groups, have forums, um, where they talk about a different way of life than what they're used to, or the life that has led them to this prison. Give them an alternative. Um, in because end of the day, irrespective of what faith you you belong to or you choose to read up on or you want to be, you you want to convert to, we talk about ethics, morals, values. We talk about the Ten Commandments. We talk about the similarities mm. uh, in all the faiths are based yeah. on ethics and morals. So, isn't mm. that a, why isn't there enough vocal um, um, representation in governments um, that that's on something that works? I don't really know. I think people perhaps are uh, a bit shy to talk about faith in a in in a civil society. Mm. I think it's become less okay, less fashionable. Yes, fashionable. Yeah, and and that's that's a real shame because you're you're absolutely right. And you know, I you know, we go into prison. Our volunteers go into prison right across the country, and and in prison, in every single prison, there is a multi faith chaplaincy. 
and 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 there you will find um, you know a Christian minister, you'll find an imam, um, you'll find people from lots of different um, faiths, all the main faiths, and and they are doing a fantastic job, uh, under really quite you know difficult, challenging circumstances, to do exactly as you said, to come alongside people, uh, and to say, look, you know, what about your faith? You know, what about this? Can I help you? Uh, in your pathway to to move back to your faith, and and as it, as exactly as you said, we see people all the time. Um, you know, when they when they get to the bottom of life, you know, when when you get to the bottom of everything and everything's been stripped away, and you know you're in prison, you think, oh, what have I done? You know, a lot of people do 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 turn to God and, and they they cry out and they pray. Mm. And, and and then we need to be there for them and to help them, and, and that's what. You know, people um, who volunteer from all faiths can come along and can do, can support uh, the imam in prison, can support the priest, the minister in prison, whoever whoever they are in terms of that. And that really can be life-changing for people. That can be one of the pathways for transformed lives. And, And you're right, we are shy about it, and we shouldn't be shy, because there is good empirical evidence that says that faith is what they call a protective factor. Mm. It's a thing that can help people uh, move away from, from crime and, and can help them in their journey away. And then when they come out, if they can come and join a faith community, and I, I'm in prison fellowship, we, we're also partnering with an organization called the Welcome Directory. And what the Welcome Directory does is it lists faith communities who are prepared to honestly welcome somebody um, who's come out of prison and say, yeah, okay, we know you've been in prison, but you can come along um, and we will welcome you at our church. We will welcome you at our mosque, um, whatever it will be. And, and that's genuine and um, they, they try and support that. So it's not just in prison, it's about that journey when people come out into community uh, and we try and work as we possibly can, you know, with, with probation other people when that happens. So you're absolutely right. We do need to be vocal as people of faith and say, actually, we do have something to offer. We do have something that can help society in this. In fact, we're the only, from a faith community point of view, faith communities are the only success stories um, in respect of rehabilitation. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you agree with that statement? I, I'm not sure I'd go quite that far. I, I, I think... You know, in prison, there are secular programs that can help people and can help them come away from crime. Um, You know, let's take, for example, the 12-step program um, for Alcoholic Anonymous. I mean, yes, within there, there is, of course, you know, the the call to higher power. But if you take that, that is a very well-known secular program, which which works works very, very well. There are other um, charities that I know that work well who who do transform lives. And I I think, you know, working together with um, uh, non-faith communities is, is important as well. Um, yes, we, we love to see, of course, that people of faith have transformed through our faith. I think that's absolutely true. But I, I, I think there are also um, secular organisations who, who do a great work as well. And I, I, I would want to applaud that as well. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so very much for joining us, for sharing your thoughts and views. Uh, really a pleasure to speak to you. And all the very best right. with all your efforts and endeavours in supporting uh, these, um, uh, this, these God-forsaken people. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to speak with you. Peace Thank be you. On you. Peace be on you. Thank so you. that was Peter Holloway from um, the uh, charity 
Prison Fellowship. Let me go straight to our next guest, who is Eva Hamilton, and CEO, who is the CEO of Key for Life. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Lovely. Thank you for having me. And I hope my signal doesn't cut out, but I'm here. You can hear me. Fingers crossed. Yes, we can hear you perfectly at the moment. So, Eva, let me start by asking you, do you think as a society, we agree that prisoners have a human right as well? Yeah, I absolutely believe they have a human right, yes. You do believe, but do you, do you I, I'm sure you do, That's that because that's part of your work. But do you think as a society, we, oh, we, we no, all accept I'm that sorry. they have human rights? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a large proportion of people who believe if you've done wrong, you need to be punished. Hmm. And they're not very forgiving to people who've done wrong. Um, yeah, I would agree that it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not as simple and straightforward. We find this in our work. Some companies and some individuals are very open-hearted and sadly some aren't so so i think you know it almost sounds like that there is uh, uh, there is some educational work uh, some work that needs to be done to educate people society in general because we all seem seem to have this this anger uh, against prisoners because you know you're in prison because you must have done something wrong uh, whereas uh, you know there there's a story even 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 now where you know uh, you know somebody who was uh, actually sent to prison uh, 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 without uh, committing a crime and and i'm sure there are many others as well but uh, yeah. but would you agree that they that we need to almost do some some education uh, and media needs to play an important role uh, in I think, that i think you're absolutely right i think there needs to be and that's what i'm always saying a huge campaign to turn people's uh, perceptions, you know, change them, share with them why people find themselves getting into trouble and why some do and some don't. But when you, um, when you look at the background of so many of our men that we work with, they come from the most unbelievably troubled backgrounds. Um, 78% of them didn't have a father growing up, for example. Mm. Many of them have been, uh, got learning difficulties. They've got a huge amount of emotional trauma they're carrying. And, you know, they just, they have no way, there's no way of letting go of that pain. And then what happens is they get into fights or they just take the wrong path. They want money uh, and they don't have any food on the table, for example, at home. So they go out and they get involved with drug dealing. You know, we see this and this happens from a very young age, too. So how does your charity help and support these individuals? Yeah, so ours is an interesting one. I launched it in the wake of the riots in 2011, and I created a seven-step model. So it's based on, actually, I've been running different charities now for about 35 years. Um, And my big push uh, in this particular one was I put seven steps, which I won't go into huge detail, but enough to tell you that it's based on three principles, unlocking people's pain from their past, which is absolutely key. You've got to go right back to... What is the pain they're carrying? Why are they carrying it? And give them tools and help them unlock it. So we bring horses into the prison. We do music. We do football. We do all sorts of lovely um, modalities we bring in to help them unlock their pain. Then we look at bringing in somebody like a mentor, somebody from a different walk of life who will walk along their path with them and help them. And then we do employability. So many of our guys have never worked before. They don't know what it is. You know, put a TV together and an interview, things we take for granted, they don't. Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time preparing them for work 
And then we bring in lots of companies to prison. So we might have over 20 companies and they will come in and interview the young men with a view to taking them on initially a three-day taster. So when they come out of prison, we're there, we go and meet the families, we get them on a work taster, we suit them and we boot them. And then very soon after that, we start focusing on getting them into employment. And then eventually they graduate. Excellent. So so two questions come to mind. One would be that, firstly, do you you find that prisoners are generally open to... um, to talking to people, to to mental health professionals, to opening up, uh, because I would imagine that you know unlocking pain would require something along those lines, and um, uh, and then uh, how what's your experience been in terms of companies being ready to um, to employ people who have a criminal background? Right. So yeah. So the first question, um, they have to build trust with you. So we don't, we kind of steer away. We know what they've been through and they will open up to a degree. But a lot of the techniques we're using are working on the unconscious mind. So we try and not get caught up in the drama of the past. We very much focus, we know it's happened, but we're all about giving them tools about how to cope moving forward. Uh, And we do a lot around forgiveness as well. And then as far as the companies go, We've got, you're absolutely right, over half the companies in Britain consider, would say that they would not consider employing an offender. Uh, We know (laughs) that's been a huge issue. So we're out there educating them. But the ones that have employed, and we've had some great success with the city, media, marketing, construction, loads of different industries, they all work brilliantly with our young men. And we've got big accountancy firms, that one that's just employed 12 men from prison, so they are, to my mind, they're an untapped pool of talent. And I think more companies need to be seeing these as part, these people as part of their diversity and inclusion. How are, are you supporting uh, the young offenders in particular? Uh, you, those who might feel... Sorry? You mean the under-18s? The, the under-18s, ones. absolutely. Uh, those who might feel that they, um, that they have... Um, uh, they've started off on a, on a very wrong path. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. That, that's the key, really, is if you're going to try and stop people going to prison, you've got to work at a very, very young age. Our, the age we would work with are probably about 10-year-olds up. We do some younger ones. So we go into schools. We've worked, you know, since we started, we've probably been in, and we've done, even this year alone, we've done about 4,000 children we go out and present and talk to them about what it's, what's going to happen to them if they steer down and get involved in the wrong path. So we do a lot of raising awareness. But we also work, and we have in the past, worked with a lot of young children who are, some of them are in prison, sadly, in places like Felton. And we go in, and they are, I have to be honest with you, a lot more challenging mm. um, and a lot more damaged. And they're the ones who are, if they're actively involved in crime, they don't want to be told by the likes of us, go and get a normal job. Yeah. The ones that haven't been put in prison but are on the, you know, up to no good, they're the ones that are often the hardest to work with. Because, but the ones who go into prison, the problem is it's, there with, it's a breeding ground. There's so many other kids in there with them that in many ways they don't have any role models in there. There's not enough focus on rehabilitation. And that therefore means the whole combination is is not a good one.
Eva, a question comes to mind. One of the biggest problems in youth offending is accommodation. That's right. Yeah. And it doesn't get in enough um spoken it, it doesn't get spoken enough about. And again, it's a personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Youth offending would go down quite drastically if there was adequate mm-hmm. accommodation of standard for youth. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. I used to run a homeless charity before um, before I ran this, or the one two or two before this one, and so I've done a lot around homelessness. I think housing is obviously crucial. You need to be in stable accommodation, safe accommodation. But the issue with housing is you've got to make sure if they're young that they're going to school, they're on a positive path. Um, what you that's the critical thing if they've got housing that the other parts of their lives are also positive. Agreed, but I, I mean, we were talking to our previous guest um, uh, Peter, and and a lot of a lot of community faith communities and other communities, not necessarily faith communities, they run a lot of independent programs for youth, um, but they're never linked with governments. They're never linked with prisons in a direct way, because because they they they. They're, they're never a public-private partnership. Isn't that the way forward um, yeah, to finding to finding real solutions? We can talk about it till the cows come home, yeah, but yeah. until uh, real solutions will only happen with public-private partnership, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, I think the government, when you have public sector operations, they don't have that. You know, you, we all learn a lot from the corporate sector. You know how they run their businesses, how they measure success. You know, and, and we need to get order in the system, right? And there needs to be innovation, creativity, and that's exactly right. Relying solely on the government absolutely does not work. So the prisons that I'm working in currently are actually run, they're privately run uh, prisons. And what I like about the privately run prisons is they are very innovative and they're up for us coming in and looking at different ways of doing things in terms of rehabilitation particularly, you know, bringing horses into the prison. You don't assume that many prisons would have horses coming in to rehabilitate them. Eva, tell us a little bit about your experience in terms of rehabilitation, in terms of getting prisoners re-employed. Um, what sort of, um, can you share us, maybe share with us uh, some stats in terms of the success yeah. that you've had? Because we keep uh, uh, hearing about repeat offenders yeah. And how um, how has this uh, sort of effort that you're making helped um, uh, in yeah, that no, endeavor? And that's the crucial thing, to be honest. You know, what, what are our results? So I think the most compelling results are that at the moment, the men we work with tend to be repeat offenders, as you've just said. So the government stat around these guys we, we would be working with would be a re-offending rate of 64%. Our re-offending rate last year was 9%. Um, it's an average of 14%. And into employment, the government staff is 15%, and we're currently running at about uh, 67%. So we've, and then in terms of our investment, so for every pound invested in Key for Life, we do a social return on investment, and it's come in at £13.46. So over two years, even though we're small, we saved the government £4.8 Wow. These are really, really impressive numbers, Eva. 
thank you. Yeah, well, we work hard. <laughs> it's not easy, I can tell you. But I know you're going to speak soon to one of our other, um, one of our men um, who's fantastic, Jamal. So he's going to explain, you know, probably in more detail how his life has changed. And he's working for an incredible company. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I let me go straight on to Jamal now. So thank you very much, Eva. This is it was uh, it was Great. enlightening well, speaking to you. Thank well, you very much for been, for talking to you- us. Thank you. You are certainly, you've got great solutions there. We need more people like you in the world. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you, Eva. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Peace be on you. Peace be on you. Lovely speaking to you, Eva. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let me now go straight to our last guest uh, for this segment, uh, who is Jamal, which is not the real name. Um, Jamal is a former offender. Uh, who has been through the Key for Life program and now works for an international financial services company in London. An excellent uh, success story there. Assalamu alaikum, Jamal. Peace be with you. A uh, very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Alaikum salam wa Thank you very much for inviting us on your program and obviously for placing a spotlight on this topic. Jamal, firstly, let me, let me say that uh, what an honor and privilege really it is for me to to be able to speak to you so so thank you very much for um for joining us today and, and having the courage to to speak um tell us a little bit about um your background how did you end up in prison yeah of course um so alhamdulillah i come from a muslim family but um i ended up in prison sort of just by unfortunately i was tempted away from sort of the good morals and the good upbringing that I had when I was growing up. You know, you're going to work every day and you're earning maybe a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds a month and you're seeing people in your surroundings that are earning that same amount in a day or in a couple of hours sometimes. So that's sort of what led me to get involved in dealing drugs and that side, the sort of criminal aspects of, of society. Um, looking back, of course, it's probably wasn't the best best decision Hmm. but I mean it's very tempting and I'm not surprised that so many young people get caught up in it because the options that are available are not are not amazing would it be possible for you to share how how long your sentence was yeah yeah I'd be happy to um so I was sentenced to four and a half years um, so I spent two years and a few months inside um inside prison and how was that experience? Let's start with that, maybe. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, first, alhamdulillah, like, different people have different experiences. Um, for myself, I'm not going to go into too much detail, um, but it was a very stressful and difficult time when I was in prison. You know, as you mentioned earlier on, earlier on in, the sh- in the show, freedom is one of the biggest blessings that you can be given in life. Mm. Um, and to be you know, to grow up in this country and have freedom to do and explore and work and so on and so forth is something that a lot of people around the world don't have. But even myself, someone who was trying to actively avoid getting into drama and problems, I still got into fights, I still got into trouble, I still got into issues within prison because you have to remember that prison is where society sends sort of quote-unquote the most terrible, the most difficult people that they have in society. Mm. It's a time out. It's basically, we can't deal with you outside with, amongst everyone else. Mm. So we're going to put you separately. Mm. And a lot of people in prison, they lean into that label. 
and they say, okay, well, if I'm the most terrible, then I'm going to be the worst mm. of the worst. Mm. You know what I mean? I'll show you um, what terrible is. Yeah, I'll show exactly. As, as you do with children, you know, if you try to discipline them mm. a lot of the time, they'll lash out even more. Um, so there's a lot of violence in prison. There's a lot of drugs, drug dealing, a lot of mental health and, you know, physical health issues. And it's all layered on top of each other. You know, you don't know where one ends and the other one begins. Um, so alhamdulillah, I had a, I had a relatively easy time in prison, but there's people who are really struggling in, in, in there. How did the Key for Life program help you? Um, so Key for Life, um, I think it's quite unique in the sense that sort of it helps you to rebuild your life from the inside out. Um, for me, alhamdulillah, I had a lot of, I feel like I had a good set of morals due to my family and my upbringing. And although I was influenced by crime, to sort of commit crime because I wanted finer things in life, I wanted a nice car, I wanted a nice house, and so on and so forth, I think the Key for Life program helped me to understand that, you know, if this is what you want, there's other ways to get it, you know. So firstly, it's helped me by finding a job in, in financial services. I work for a big company where I feel like I'm actually contributing to the success of the organization. And I'm not as tempted to go back into crime because I know that if I work hard, I can have anything I want in a legal way and in a halal way as well, which is important for me as a Muslim. Um, secondly, as well, I would say it helped me to understand more about myself because I was working for them as a key mentor and I was working as a caseworker as well, part-time. And that helped me to help other people understand this isn't the right path, there's a different solution, you know. It, when you're a key mentor, you have that first-hand view on how difficult life is for a lot of people. It puts you, everything else into context. And I think a lot of maybe the listeners or a lot of people out in society live a very sheltered, very comfortable life. So they can't understand what a lot of people at the lower end of the socio socioeconomic spectrum are experiencing sort of on a daily, weekly and yearly basis throughout their life. Brother Jamal Asani, can peace be on you. Skayum here. In the society we're living in, mm -hmm. the youth face um, social media pressures, Hollywood, Bollywood, you name it, uh, mainstream media, uh, films, games, that mm -hmm. the message is crime does pay because prison is easy. And if um, you really, if you want mm -hmm. respect mm -hmm. on the street, it's the street cred that we talk about. Mm -hmm. Um then, you know, it's worth going to prison for. What's your take on that? And what words of advice would you give to the youth of today saying, would, t telling them, you know, the realities of prison? Of mm -hmm. um, I would say, I don't think the message out there is crime does pay and prison is easy. I wouldn't agree with that at all. But the um, media, I'm talking about the media. That's what, yeah, that's yeah, what social yeah, media, yeah. actually, mm -hmm. the films that we watch. You know, mm -hmm. films of bank robbers successfully robbing big banks and institutions. You know, they glamorize crime. They do, of course. And I think that is just human nature that anything that is taboo, that isn't allowed, it becomes glamorized because people don't experience that often. I think the reality of the situation, and I think what most people understand, is that those people who are in movies, it's the classic underdog story. They know that majority of people out there, crime doesn't pay. 
so you want to see a movie about the one bank robber who did make it mm. you know the one criminal the one drug dealer who became a multi-millionaire billionaire pablo escobar-esque mm. sort of yeah stories this is what you want to hear that's right you, it, my story as much as maybe it people tell me and you, your colleague told me it's a fantastic success story no one wants to hear about the guy who went out was selling drugs and then woke up and said you know what this is not the right path this is not benefiting me my family my society and actually i'm gonna turn my life around and go and work a legit job like no one wants to really watch that movie do, do you see what i mean yep so i think with society i think the what you need to understand is that these things will always be glamorized and young people need to be given the understanding that there's other options out there you know we need to normalize all these other jobs that are out there rather than shaming someone who's just an accountant shaming someone who's just a carer and so on and so forth um and yeah go ahead and finally you know faith Mm -hmm. how much did faith play a role in your turnaround? Um, Alhamdulillah, for me as a Muslim, my success is only by Allah. Um, but I think in general, I would advise anyone who is struggling that the focus, the best thing to do is always focus on yourself. Um, I think people need to realize that everyone makes mistakes. You know, in Islam, we say Allah is the most forgiving. You know, we say, you know, the best of sinners are those who repent. And I think the best thing that anyone can do is rather than wallowing in their past and their past mistakes, I think they need to focus on the future because the past will only lead to depression or in the worst case, they might even think that crime is all they're worthy of, all they can do in life. My advice would just be take a long, hard look in the mirror and just ask themselves if this is what they want for themselves, you know. And if it isn't, then ask what would they prefer to be instead. And then go out and find the tools and the support that they need to achieve that, you know. Ex-offenders are people, just like me and you, you know. If one of you commits a crime tomorrow or maybe has an accident or something and someone, God forbid, passes away, you're going to join the community of ex-offenders suddenly. Mm. And you yourself haven't changed, but it's something that's happened around you. And, you know, everyone who has committed a crime in the past is just like anyone else. They just need help to overcome their past mistakes and to reintegrate with society and potentially build a better future. Inshallah. Jamal, how easy or difficult was it for you to find employment? Mm-hmm. Um, for myself personally, Alhamdulillah, I have a lot of transferable skills. So, and I, I've, I've studied and things like that before going to prison. I was always someone who had one foot in and one foot out. So I was able to find a job when I came out of prison and Key for Life helped me to find my current job now. But for a lot of ex-offenders, it's really difficult because as Eva mentioned, maybe they've never worked a job before. Maybe they don't even know what a CV is, let alone how to put one together. That's one aspect, Um, uh, Jamal. mm -hmm. The aspect I want to focus on is... um, is is really the ex offender? I mean, the the stigma that uh, that is attached to mm-hmm. an ex offender. So uh, you know, like for like, two people, one having uh, two people having similar amount, oh, similar sure. level of skills, one being an mm-hmm. ex offender. Um, mm-hmm. How challenging it is for that person I to get employment? Say, I would say honestly, it's really challenging. That's something I wanted to mention as well. I think it's 
society needs to own up and say, you know, you, in the UK they say if you do the crime, you do the time, and you know, after you've been punished, that's it. You've repaid your debt to society. But someone who's an ex-offender, if you put them on one side, and someone who isn't an ex-offender, you put them on the other side. The ex-offender will find it a lot more difficult to access jobs, to access banking, to access housing, credit. You know, what I mean, car insurance, home insurance, all these things mm. discriminate against an ex-offender, and it's allowed. It's legal in our society. You know, mm. you go for a job, and they can't say to you, "No, I'm not going to give you this role because you're this skin color rather than this skin color." But they can look at your record and they can say, okay, you have something on here and this one is clean, so I'll give the job to this person. I think that's not really fair because you're not giving that person an opportunity to move on. And I think we need more organizations out there that can support people to overcome these issues and obstacles. There's a lot now, but the ones that are available now, they need more support rather than being made to compete with each other for these limited resources. I think we need more meaningful organisations that can really support ex-offenders to reintegrate the society. Fantastic. Jamal, I could uh, ask you so many more questions, but because we're coming up to the oh, hour, um, I, I, may, may God Almighty reward all your hard work and may God Almighty bless uh, institutions like Key for Life mm. who, who create these opportunities uh, for bringing people onto the right path. Uh, wishing you a fantastic evening and weekend ahead. May peace be with you, brother. And thank you very much again for bringing thank us you. on the show. Thank Have you. A good day. The holy, the the, the current found uh, the the current caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Azam Mizamasur Ahmad, said, "The Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, so beautifully stated, we must love for others what we love for ourselves. We must pursue the rights of others with the same zeal and determination that we pursue our own rights." Just like Brother Jamal said, if you've done the crime, if you've done the crime and you've done the time, you've paid. Um, uh, you know the price for 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 your crime. Then, you know the the uh, <clears throat> then then they should be given the opportunity like anybody else does. We are coming up to the hour. When we come back, we're going to go on to our second topic of the afternoon, which is holy books. So do stay tuned. We're going to join you back after some messages and the five o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam uh, with myself, Raza Baradakiyum, and brother Daniel. In this part of the program, we're going to speak about holy books being the sources of guidance, wisdom, and divine revelation. Now, for us as Muslims, it is a pillar of faith it's a pillar of belief one of the pillars of belief uh, there's six uh, articles of faith uh, and the third one is about the belief in the books of god almighty first one being the belief in god then the belief in his prophets the belief in his uh, books the belief in his angels uh, the belief in the decree of god almighty and the belief in the day of judgment in no particular order but one of these as i said is the belief in the books you know, it's, it's it's interesting you say that. You say belief in the books. Hmm. If one was to again, I mean, we were discussing this before we came on the show, the, and we even discussed it in the first hour, power of social media. So many people find it so strange that Muslims believe in the Bible. Muslims believe in the Torah. They're like, what? I thought you only believed in the Holy Quran. Hmm. There's, hmm. This, there's this misconception hmm. that... 
oh, the Christian's book is the Bible, the, the Jews' Torah, and the Muslims just the Holy Quran. Mm. It's not just. One of the reasons why um, Islam is referred to as the universal religion, yeah. and one of the reasons why the Holy Quran is referred to as the book from the day it was revealed, mm. how it will be relevant till the day of judgment, is because everything that came before it, mm. and which was relevant and, and in line, is, is is something that Muslims have to believe in. I often think of an interesting, interesting anal um, analogy when uh, when we talk about this, and that is, uh, you get the same amount of surprise from our other Muslim brothers mm. when they get to hear and understand that Ahmadis, it is it is uh, it is a part of our faith to consider. Uh, Muhammad, Hazrat Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as Khatam and Nabiyin. Mm. Mm. It's exactly the same uh, amount of surprise when uh, when our non-Muslim brothers and sisters they hear that Muslims also believe in uh, in books. And I, I think both of these things. Mm. The point I'm trying to make is that both of these things I think are related to the poison that has been spread about Islam in the West mm. by the media. And about Ahmadis in the East, hmm. um, especially in the East, by the mullahs. Agreed. Um, but I think one of the most um, common clips that tend to appear on on social media, and I'm, I'm using social media here as an example, is when uh, our Christian brothers and sisters get surprised when they hear that there's a whole chapter on Mary yeah. in the Holy Quran. Yeah. And it it's like... They're flabbergasted. They say, "What? Mm. There's a chapter. Mary is mentioned in the Holy Quran, yeah. Brother Raza. Yeah. You must come across that like on a re regular basis when people question, when you have yeah. discussions with people of other faiths. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's a surprise. Um, for for those who do know, it's it's a different conversation altogether. Altogether, it's a different conversation that you have with them. Mm. What I mean by that is, I'll, I'll come to that. Yes, you're absolutely right. There is a chapter by the name of uh, Surah Maryam, um, which talks about basically the circumstances, which talks about the life um, and, 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 and the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus, peace upon him, as well as some of the allegations that were raised by the people of that time, as well as people who you know were to come after. Now, the the conversation that you have with those Christian friends uh, who are aware of that is slightly different in the sense that they believe or they think, you know, the argument is that, look, not even your own prophet has been mentioned as much as prophet yeah, Jesus. That's right. So there has to be something special about him. There has to be something extraordinary about him that God Almighty, that Allah has mentioned him so many times, so frequently in different chapters. And plus, on top of that, you have a whole chapter named chapter, uh, the, you know, after the mother of Prophet Jesus. The reason for that is is quite simple. I don't think that we have any prophet in the history of mankind that has been uh, labeled, that has been attacked, that has been uh, defamed in such a way. You know, every, every prophet had to undergo opposition. Every uh, prophet was faced opposition. But I think the the abuse and the allegations leveled against Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, 
were so uh, of such a nature that God Almighty had to basically um, correct that, rectify that, and tell the people that this is not what you were uh, believing. And of course, yes, every prophet, that's something that we learn from the Holy Quran as well, that every prophet that has been sent to the world, to different nations, had a certain task, had a certain responsibility, had a certain job. And they, although they were all prophets, they all have been named prophets and messengers, but of course there's ranks between them as well. So some were given a sharia, meaning a book, a law, a revelation, a, a scripture, and some were not. However, the reason why we want to talk about here is specifically when you mention social media, when we talk about the current day and age, is that a lot of people are under the influence or, or, or believe that the source of all the evil that we have in the world, the source of all the, the, um, the bad that is happening in the world, the wars that we fought uh, amongst each other in, in, in the past, is based on religion, is based on these scriptures, whatever scriptures that may be. But for us, for as Muslims, as you mentioned rightly, the belief in all of these books, the belief in all these prophets is a part of faith. If you reject, if we reject even one of these prophets that hasn't mentioned or even not, then technically speaking, you cannot call yourself a Muslim. So in the Holy Quran, we find specifically the four scriptures that uh, we briefly want to talk about or the four revealed books other than the Holy Quran. So the first one is the Suhuf, the scrolls of Prophet Abraham in chapter 87 verse 20. God Almighty talks about that <clears throat> and it says the scripture of Abraham and Moses, Suhuf Ibrahim wa Musa. And it's also one of the very famous chapters that was recited on a, on a Friday, for example. And of course, we don't know anything about that scripture today, and probably they were never recorded in writing, but that's the beauty of the Holy Quran. Now, you have to think about, it came at the very end, it came 1400 years ago, after all of the religion had basically undergone all of that change and all of that um, 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 addition and subscription of, of, of their teachings. And one of the reasons why God Almighty had or sent the Holy Quran, and we find this in different chapters as well, is that so we know, we are aware of what the reality of things is. Just as I mentioned before, the, the, the story of Prophet Jesus. What name was he not called? That, oh my, God forbid, illegitimate birth. Um, then in, in, in that very own chapter of Surah Maryam, God Almighty talks about what the people alleged to, to Mary as well. That what have you done when she brought Prophet Jesus? What have you done? How, how bad of a thing is this? And where is that child coming from? So all of this had to be rectified, had to be corrected. The second book that has been mentioned or the revealed book that has been mentioned in the Holy Quran is the, is the Torah of uh, Moses. And this is something that has been mentioned over and over again. It comprises the first five books of the Hebrew Bible and contains the complete law for the Israelites, as we know. And these five books are, as we know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And together, these five books are known as the Pentateuch. Um, Pentateuch. 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 Sorry, apologies for that. And it was passed down the generation by the word of mouth and was finally recorded in writing some, you know, a couple of hundred years after Prophet Moses. And the Hebrew Bible is a collection of 24 books, including, as I mentioned, the five books of the Torah. 
The third one mentioned in the Holy Quran is the Psalms of David. Now, we know very little about that today um, or the revelations of Prophet David, uh, peace be upon him. In the Hebrew Bible, there are many Psalms, which again, translated means sacred songs or hymns, that are attributed to Prophet David, which may constitute part of that you know, Zabur or the Psalms that uh, have been mentioned in the Holy Quran. And lastly, it's about the gospel. So the gospel or the Injil, as it has been mentioned in the Holy Quran, was revealed to the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, but was not, as we know, recorded during his lifetime. After his death, um, you know, attempts were made to record his teachings in writing. And of the many such narratives, four were selected by the early church as official accounts of the teachings of Jesus. And these four versions, the gospels, are known today as Gospel of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, or the Gospels according to Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. However, there are other Gospels that are not included in the Bible that also contain important information about the life and teachings of Jesus, peace be upon him. What we do say about this is, and here is, I think, something that may be a point of contention between Muslims and, and other you know, people of faith or other religions. We do believe that all of these books, if they are still around today or not, that they do contain the Word of God. They do contain wisdom. They do contain guidance. They are uh, for their believers, for the respective uh, you know, people who, who, who attribute themselves to these religions, a source of guidance. However, they're not completely the Word of God. They contain the Word of God, but you, according to us, technically speaking, you cannot say that they are <coughs> 100% the word of God. Whereas in the Holy Quran, when it comes to the Holy Quran, that changes. But there's a reason why that changes, isn't there? Yes. Um, because the Holy Quran has been proven to be the authentic word, which has never been changed. Yes. Um, it And, you know, it's not Muslims, people from, uh, you know, historians, archaeologists, people who've actually been commissioned to go out and prove uh, that the Holy Quran is not an authentic book have come back and said, well, no, I'm sorry, but I, even though I was commissioned to go and prove that is that, uh, you know, to go and research to see whether the Holy Quran has been ever been changed, have come back and said, well, sorry, it hasn't been changed. But I want to kind of put a, some context on this discussion and this topic that we are having in this second hour. The reason, one of the reasons why we are talking about holy books is the the hoo-ha in the media recently about the burning of the mm. holy quran yes and the reason why and a lot of people sometimes they get emotional understandably the holy quran as we have just said to muslims it is the authentic word of god um, and it is nothing is more i'm not going to say disrespectful nothing is more painful for a Muslim to see the word of God that they believe in, that they practice their life in, or they're supposed to practice their life in accordance with, to see it being burnt and to be disregarded um, in the manner that is legally being allowed by certain governments around the world. And some people say, well, why don't you, you can do the same to them? And the answer to that, no, you can do the same to them, is no, we can't. No, we won't. Which is why Brother Raza, for the past 20 minutes or so, has been explaining that, that, that 
you know, the definitions and the reasons and, and why these books are not just important to the respective faiths that these books were revealed to, but you cannot be a Muslim without being a Jew, without being a Christian, without believing in these books. You cannot call yourself a Muslim. So we will give it the reverence and the respect that is due to these holy books because they might not be entirely the words of God, as Brother Rosa said, and so some of these books, but they do contain the word of God. So it was important that we put some context on what we are discussing here this hour. Brother Daniel, your silence is is is, is, is deafening. Is, mm -hmm. is painful. Yes, absolutely. No, I think um, it, I I actually uh, was thinking of um, talking about the holy books um, also in the context of what's happening around the world these days, which is which is the burning mm. of uh, of the Holy Quran, and uh, and I just uh, I I just find it very confusing that uh, we are allowing people to burn something that is considered sacred uh, yeah. in the name of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Whereas we all, all decent civilized people in the world, regardless of their, uh, their background, their creed, their color, their age, know that it, when you're living in a society or if you're living as a family, in one house, you don't offend one another in the name of freedom. Just because I, I can say something to my wife, I won't say that because I know that she doesn't like me to say X or Y. And similarly, and so on and so forth, and she, she won't. So we take, we, we, we look after each other and we look after each other's sensibilities. We take into account what the other person likes or not likes, and we don't flout flout our freedom of religion, or, or sorry, freedom of speech, in the name of um, uh, by doing um, these abhorrent acts. Why would we do that? Society is just a uh, a family is a smaller unit of a society, and a society is a bigger unit of the of the family. Why do we allow such abhorrent acts in the society in the name of freedom of religion when we very well know that it is going to be, some people are going to find it offensive, some people are going to be hurt. Forget about offense. But they don't matter. Why? Why? Exactly. The people who why are going to be hurt. Why do we think, no, no, so, so people, I'm talking about the people who vehemently talk about and take out processions because they want to talk about they're the flag bearers, so to say, of the modern freedom of religion mm -hmm. and, and freedom of belief and freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. In the name of freedom of speech, they say that anything and everything is allowed. No, but the right to offend no, no, no. is allowed see, as well. This is where we get it wrong. Yeah. OK. Tell this me. is where we get it wrong. Tell me. It's freedom of speech, freedom of everything, as long as it suits my narrative. Mm, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if we, because we, we, and not when I say we, I'm talking not Muslims, everyone. Yeah. Everyone who you have described as sane minded and who's respectful of others, even they get sucked into this thing about oh, freedom, oh, free, freedom of yeah. speech and freedom of religion. Um, and, and even though they know that they are hurting our feelings. Exactly. 
they don't care because it's politically beneficial for their narrative. Yeah. It's 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 vote winning. Yeah, it's good business. In Scandinavia at the moment. Yeah. The right wing is on the up. Yeah. Similar to what a few years ago we sp- we spoke about this in Germany. Brother Rosa mm. we spoke about ADF. We spoke of uh, in America. We talked we spoke of Steve Bannon in America. You know, who um Sorry, um, Steve Bannon, who is, uh, you know, spoke a similar kind of... He talked of a, a Muslim holocaust. <laughs> Openly, they talked mm. of a Muslim holocaust, mm. yet nobody said a word. Mm. Because people of faith... Look, I remember going back, what, how, would it be a decade or more? Yeah, there was this play called Jesus Christ Superstar mm. in the West End. And people of Christian faith, they were offended. Nobody cared. Mm. Let's go back to the first hour. We talked about faith. And remember when Peter said, the sad thing of today is faith, people of faith have started to believe the narrative and they, they've become quiet. Yeah, It's embarrassing to speak of faith. Mm. And this is it's where... It's not fashionable anymore. Yeah. It's not fashionable anymore. Mm. It's not popular anymore. Mm. Yeah. And we are living in an era of politics, which is populist. This is the most populist era that we can talk of for mm. a long time. And we make a mistake ourselves when we say the Holy Quran is being burnt because it's freedom of speech. It isn't freedom of speech. It is anarchy. The last people and the people in history who have burnt books were anarchists. Mm. Mm. We mm. need to correct our own language. Mm. Absolutely. And and yeah, I think so very so very well put. Absolutely. I think the the analogy that you draw with the anarchists, I think is uh, is very apt. Uh, but because the, the the only book that will save no. these people who are burning the book is actually the book they're burning. Yeah, <laughs> that, I was going to come to that. And and also not just the anarchists, but correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that something that was done by the Nazis as That's well? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Second World War. Exactly. During that uh, time. Now speaking about this, um, uh, you know the the Quran burning in Sweden and Denmark and whatnot. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community the fifth successor to the promised Messiah of this age, on whom be peace, said in one of his Friday sermons delivered last month on the 7th of July, he said that in Sweden and other countries, people have been given completely free reign to say whatever they wish against Islam in the name of freedom of expression. Under this pretext, they are cruelly toying with the sentiments of Muslims through vengeful acts that cause deep distress to Muslims. Their actions are cruel and abhorrent, whereby they defile, they defile the Holy Quran or use vulgar words about the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In this regard, Muslim governments are also to blame for the dire situation that Muslims find themselves in because it is their disunity which has allowed the anti-Islam powers to act in these vile ways. If the Muslims had taken a stand or reacted to the Quran burning, it will only be a temporary reaction that will have no lasting impact. Therefore, we must pray fervently for the Muslim leaders and the Ummah, meaning the nation of the Muslims. There is a dire need for prayers. And then, of course, he's spoken about this at every junction. You had, remember the cartoons? That's the, right. the I, was about to, I was thinking yeah. the same. Hmm. That, you know, look in France, um, when the cartoons were published. Hmm. When the cartoons were published, it was under the freedom of speech. Mm. When President Macron's family was was d- depicted in a cartoonish manner, mm. they fired the, the, the they fired the editor of the same magazine that had mm. published the cartoons of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm. So clearly, freedom of speech is no, it's not relevant here. Mm. 
It is freedom of speech as long as it suits their narrative. And we need to recognize that. And also need to recognize, you know, the the words that His Holiness use, uh, deep, deep distress. Yeah. Freedom of speech cannot be the same as, as freedom to cause deep distress. Freedom has boundaries. Exactly. Today, we are living in... A f- Look, it goes back to what we said earlier. Freedom without boundaries, anarchy. Mm. That is simple as that. It's not complicated. We not oh, talk about this or let's... Le-. No. Everything has, everything has a boundary. Mm. There has to be boundary. Mm. Because rules, ethics, morals, values, they are based on... We talk about the holy books. The holy book says you can do something to a certain point when it gets when when you when you get to a point where you may be starting to hurt the feelings of people even animals for crying out loud stop hmm. Hmm. so there are boundaries yeah. so we live in a, in in a, in a in a in a age where we have become slaves and victims of words clichés freedom of speech freedom of religion it doesn't exist so we need to challenge that narrative. Freedom of speech, yes, as long as it's within the boundaries, as long as freedom is not boundaryless. Hmm. But I, I, I'm intrigued. Why do we not hear about this in the mainstream media? Why should we? Because, because uh, we as Muslims, His Holiness talked about Islamic nations being at fault too. We as Muslims, have a, we will have an, and understandably so, we will have an emotional reaction to it and, mm. and we will come out and, and we will do, or some lone wolf will go and do something stupid. Which is totally disallowed in Islam, by the way. Which is disallowed in yeah. Islam. And the mainstream media knows that. Yeah. But, I, it, you know, it goes, to me, again, it's a personal opinion. It goes back to maybe 30 years ago or even longer when, when the breakup of communism happened. And somebody said, well, capital, we're living in a society where capitalism has a competitor. Mm. And that was communism. Mm. And the fourth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community at that time, it was a question and answer session. And, 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 mm. and the communism had broken down and, and Gorbachev was, mm. was the architect of, of all of this because of all the promises that the Western capitalist government had made Russia. And we, we, we're reaping the rewards of it today in this war. But His, his Holiness at that time, um, the fourth caliph of the promised Messiah, uh, may Allah have mercy on his soul, he said Islam. Mm. is going to be the next, is going to be the, the competitor in accordance with capitalism. Capitalism isn't just money. Capitalism is a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a religion. Life. It's a way of life. It yeah. is a religion. Yes, money is religion, yes. And, they are, and their next competitor will be Islamization, which is the word that was invented then. Mm. Okay. I, I, did, did you get me? I, so I, the I mainstream yes. media has been not doing this... You know, recently, me and brother Raza and, and yourself, brother Daniel, we always sometimes make a mistake. And sometimes we say as well that this this notion of Islamophobia started from 9-11. And then I, I, I was reading up a few things and I'm thinking like, well, no, you know, hmm. it started before then. Yes. Yeah, but I, I, I have a slightly different interpretation. And to me, hmm. the watershed moment was um, Satanic Verses. The book written by <clears throat> yeah. Salman Rushdie. Mm. Rushdie. Yeah. And that probably happened at the same time, by the way, as the, mm. as the demise of communism. Yeah. I think probably the same, same sort of time frame, uh, probably a couple it's of years. It's a crazy book. One way or the other. Exactly. And, 
And the, the backlash, again, as you were saying, from the Muslim community was, um, uh, was uh, you know, totally... Was riots. Well, exactly. I mean, it was totally... Uh, Fatwas. I think that was the wor- first totally time ridiculous. people heard that Abs- word. Absolutely. And, and that backlash, I think, gave, um, uh, gave fuel to, uh, to the, the Western media and the miscreants within the Western society because they, they, certainly, they immediately found a weak area yeah. for, Muslim, for, for, for Islam to be attacked on and Muslims to be, uh, to be cornered. Well, they cornered it well. Brother yeah. Raza just quoted something. That wasn't the Nazis who burnt books. Mm. BBC questioned, knowingly, they questioned a mullah on live TV. They were burning satanic verses. Mm. And they asked him, Mullah, why are you burning this book? And they knowingly targeted this man because he, and they said, why are you burning this book? And he said, well, because he pointed out the, the, the head of the, the group who was causing this burn. <laughs> and he said, because he said so. And yeah. the man asked him, well, haven't you read it? He goes, no. Yeah. He's doing it because he said so. Yeah. Again, it doesn't, it's ignorance. Yeah. People of all faiths have shown it. Yeah. This is why His Holiness talks about. Um, but hang on, you raise a very, a very interesting point, which we, which you we were talking about earlier, which yeah. is that BBC thought that it was okay. That's right. To show, um, uh, uh, to show a Muslim burning satanic verses in bad light. That's right. And show him in bad light. Yeah. That he's burning books. Exactly. The Nazis were the last ones who burned Absolutely. books. Absolutely. But yeah. equally, when somebody else burns the Quran, yeah. that's not bad light. That's no, okay. Of course. That's good. Yes. That's freedom of speech. Because we live in the Western world. Western world is an Islamic. When will we ever start but, to... But, no, but, but the, these are clearly double standards, aren't they? Yes, there are. But and I think... Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. But I think even here, you have to... Differentiate, differentiate, because the the book that's being burnt is two yeah. completely but, different things. But even even no, the, the point the, that I'm trying to make, Imam Raza, is that when you show, for example, even today, when you show somebody, for example, burning uh, the U.S. flag somewhere mm, in the mm, Middle East mm. because U.S. occupied their country, you, you know those images are flashed on Western yes. media. Yes. Um, oh, I fully agree with you on that one. Yeah. Because they're, they're trying. What are they trying to show? They're trying to show that you know, look at these illiterate people. They're trying. They're burning flags. Uh, look at these uh, these totally rundown, ridiculous people who have nothing better to do, and yet they 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 equally then show these other images showing what an educated thing to do to burn Holy Quran mm. here because this he's, he's just exercising his freedom, his freedom of speech. Of right. Yeah, and it's not just people. It's it's uh, what, militant Muslims. It's yeah. radical Muslims. Exactly. It's extremist Muslims and Muslim clerics and whatnot. Most of the time, I mean, that's what it is. If they're burning or whatever it is. And that's absolutely right. That's where you see the double standard. And this is something that... You cannot differentiate between against whom this is carried out. All right. So for us as Muslims, if you see injustice, you call it out. 
Mm. It doesn't matter what religion it is. It doesn't matter what faith it is. It doesn't matter what nation, what race, what color, what creed, what what background that person belongs to. If it's wrong, it has to be called out wrong. And that's something that we find in the Holy Quran. There's another quote of the uh, of of His Holiness that I found, and again speaking about the reasons why these acts are being carried out, meaning the 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 ignorance of what this book is actually all about he says that the truth is that most people in sweden and other western countries remain unaware of the true teachings of islam and this enables extremists to take individual verses of the holy quran completely out of context for the sake of their false propaganda people who conduct uh, who conduct such hateful acts have no knowledge of islam or what the actual condition laid down in the holy quran are for jihad they ignore the fact that the Bible has many more verses that can be taken out of context and used to justify the use of force. Regardless, it is the duty of Ahmadi Muslims to introduce and exemplify the true and peaceful teachings of Islam in each and every city and town so that people understand the reality of our religion. And now you have situations like uh, Denmark who are considering to ban protests, burning Qurans, and, and other religious texts based on what happened. So you have... Uh, again, in the name of freedom of religion, freedom of expression and whatnot. It's not just one example. Have you seen how it's 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 completely out of control now? Mm. And you the, the, the funny thing is that these people are not just doing it, they're asking permission. Mm. They get they're giving they're giving permission to to carry out these things. It's a le- it's a totally legal, okay, legal, acceptable yeah, exactly. activity. Stamped by the government. Exactly. Yes, go, go into it. it. Absolutely. Go hurt the sentiments of m- millions of Muslims. And yeah. then on the other side, if on the other planet, or uh, if on the other side of the planet, you have people again, uh, no justification whatsoever, going into embassies, storming embassies, burning flags, hurting people that have nothing to do with what is happening on the other side of the planet what one individual or one group is doing that's wrong as well yeah absolutely and but equally you're you're provoking them yes you are you know exactly you what know is exactly going to what you're doing you you you're provoking them you are you know you're hurting their sentiments and you know that there is a reaction although it must be said that that's a violent reaction and that's not a reaction which is allowed in islam but it is a reaction nevertheless and you know it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's almost calculated you know if you do x y is going to happen uh, but because uh, that shows again islam in very bad light you, as you said, allow these activities to happen under your watch with your stamp of approval, even though you very well know that this is going to hurt people's sentiments. This is going to cause people deep distress. And you know, I have a different perspective, and I'm sure you will say, "Oh, yeah, of course you will." Of course, of course you will. You will. <laughs> there you go. Look, <clears throat> it's not a one-off, is it? The burning of the Quran. No, that's what I meant. It's 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 increasing. It's increasing. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. it's it, it, it's in America. In fact, it's it's happening. Yeah, it's it's almost it's a, a global weekly, activity a monthly, now. Remember that thing. one guy who started? Well, that's well, right. Maybe yeah. not started, but the, the the first time you heard about it, it was a big hoo-ha. It yeah. was a it was a massive. Hoo-ha. It was yeah. an international story. Yeah. yeah, there was a priest, I think. Yeah. Look, you know, we talked about satanic verses. Mm. The Pope banned it in Italy. Mm. Mm. He read it. He said, look, this is not just offensive to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It's actually very, I've read it. Mm. It's offensive 
to just about every single hmm. prophet there is. Yeah. Every single religious figure from Buddhism to Confucius to uh, to Jews, Muslims, um, uh, Christians, everyone. So the Pope said, look, it's banned. End off. Brother, as I said, there's two sides to everything. The Muslim side, and, and again, I go back to where His Holiness talks about the fault of the Muslims as well. The fault of the Muslims on this side was that it was radical, ignorant mullahs. Now, mm. for the benefit of the listener, when I say mullah, I'm talking about someone who practices political Islam, has got nothing to do with the authentic teachings of Islam. Mm. I will differentiate that. That's my definition. Mm. And I, I do not associate these people with Islam. Not with the Islam that mm, I practice. No. Not with the Islam that we believe that's sitting in this room. They do not represent the Islam that um, has been taught to us, that was brought to this earth. Mm. Uh, that is actually in the book mm. that they're burning, the Holy Quran, mm. the sacred text. Quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. They're looking to protect in their minds, to protect this holy book by 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 going out on the streets and 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 condemning this and condemning that and burning well you're protecting supposedly protecting the holy quran in a manner which the holy quran tells you not to exactly yeah so, that too so so there is ignorance sure. on both sides 100% now we've got to a point now we need to talk about yes you're burning this book and we alluded to it earlier that the book you're burning is actually saying, well, I am the only book that is going to save you in the future. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what we need to be talking about. Mm. Look, yes, book has been burnt. Sentiments have been hurt. We need to go beyond that now. It's what's written in the Holy Quran that is important. They've burnt papers and, and a book. To them, it's paper and a book. And yes, they are going out there to hurt the sentiments of the Muslims. The Muslim reaction needs to be, what did the holiness talk about? Mm. Prayers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the key. Exactly. That's the solution. Absolutely. That are you 100%. That is the solution, absolutely. And they will stop burning only when Muslims begin to exhibit this very exactly. reaction. Thank you. That's what we need to be talking about. And that's what we are talking about today. That it's almost respect. like it's almost like you know bullying in 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 school. Uh, yes. You know uh, the bully only bullies when he knows that the other person is being bullied. When the bully and they knows, thrive on that exactly, reaction that, of that person. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's not. Let's not look for them to change. Mm. Let them make it legal. Let them make. But you know what's changed? The reason I say why it's become a, a frequent event. The spectators have reduced. Mm. The one in Sweden. It had less than 10, 15 people mm. who came to see it. Mm. The first one had thousands. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It went around the world. Mm. That's the difference. Mm. Let them do what they want. Let us do what the Holy Quran is teaching us. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. We need to follow what the Holy Quran Muslims says. need to follow what uh, what's written in the Holy Quran and, right. and follow it in letter and spirit. Absolutely. And when they when they start doing that, they they will automatically stop doing these heinous acts because there will be no spectators. Yeah, yeah. nobody will be hurt. Nobody will be hurt. Yeah, it, thinking, won't, yeah it won't. It won't be newsworthy anymore. The, the the thing is, you see, you go around the world. It's it's you know we've done so many shows that Christianity is on the on the decline. 
How many times have you heard that? How many times we've the last consensus? That so many people, uh, so many exactly, that, that so many thousands of millions have left uh, the church. Absolutely, be- be- because yeah. they stopped reading Bible. Mm. I remember. I never used to understand when we used to go to school. The Bible used to be on the floor. And we Muslims used to go pick it up. We used to go pick it up and put it on the on the on the top shelf. I was gonna get get to that. Yeah, we we, we think that's a that's your that's your holy scriptures. Why yeah. is it on the floor for crying out loud? Mm. It's only a book mm. because they stopped reading. Mm. Muslims have stopped reading the Holy Quran. Yes, they have. What is it that you are fighting for for crying out loud? Mm. Yeah. This is why His Holiness talks about there is a blame on Muslims too. It is the book that's revealed to your prophet that you say. Oh, 100 percent. That you're protecting. Yeah, yeah, correct. Absolutely. We do not want to get to the point mm. where the Holy Quran, God forbid, is on the on the floor and we just walk by thinking, yeah, it's only a book. Mm. We learn from other people's mistakes. Brother Azza. No, I absolutely agree. I think that the what 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 we need to look at now after having spoken about where our belief as Muslims stands, what the situation of the world is at the moment, what needs to happen. As you rightly mentioned, it's not up to us to to go and physically hold the hands of those people who want to burn these these mm. these sacred scriptures. Or for us, you know, as Muslims, the, the 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 book revealed by God Almighty, word for word, that we firmly believe in. But it's the reaction, and I think this is what His Holiness mentioned over and over again, not just when it comes to the Quran burning, but also when it came to uh, people defiling the, the the character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. You can, you know, deal with it in two ways. You can do what the world and the Muslim majority world, so-called Muslim majority world, did by going out to the streets, protests, and you know all of these things, or how do you counter that narrative that is being produced on 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 this side of of the world? That God forbid, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was. Um, a warmonger mm. that uh, you know he was this he was that and Islam is so so violent and jihad and this and Allahu Akbar and whatnot. how do you counter that by doing exactly what they do if they write His Holiness said if they write one article what is stopping you from writing ten mm-hmm. if they um, talk about you know the, the character of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him in a certain way then what is stopping us to to tell them what is what is the mm. truth, mm. you know, it just reminded. The reason I smirked is what brother said. It reminds me of the time after nine eleven, and after all these suicide bombings. Yeah, 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 yeah. The level of ignorance <clears throat> is here, in simple terms. Mm. They gave it a violent connotation to the term Allahu Akbar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, not knowing what it meant. Yeah. Allah is great. Yeah. God is great. Well, that's not just in the Holy Quran. That's in the Bible. That's in the Torah. That's in all the religious books. Mm. God is great. Mainstream media gave it a violent. But I'll go back to you, the point that you were making yeah. earlier, that actually it's the Muslims who gave that connotation to it. Well, when they were killing the infidels, they would recite Allah, right? But, but the mainstream media knew yeah. They knew that the definition they use for infidels doesn't exist in real Islamic meaning. The kafir they use, the word. What's an infidel? You know, our pers- I mean, to, to me, an infidel is someone who what? Denies God or is someone who is who creates a partner with God Almighty? 
Brother Rosa, correct me here, educate me here. Mm. The word infidel is used so many times. Yeah. Infidel, someone who is not a Muslim cannot be an infidel. Not not by default or not automatically. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But that's what it's portrayed. That Muslims say anybody in a mainstream media, anyone yeah. who an infidel is a non-Muslim, full stop. That is not true. It can't be true. And this is exactly what the Holy Quran has mentioned. Exactly. That, look, for you, if you are on your religion, right? I mean, we talk about, so the solution to this is what? Interfaith harmony. harmony. What is it that we can contribute? What is it that our teachings say that can be emulated in the world, that can go around to other people of, of even like who don't believe in Islam? What would attract them? What is it that they don't know that can change their mind? So if if you are out there, if you're if you think that this is a book which is so so um, violent, if you think that this is something that Muslims believe, oh, if you you cannot have Christian friends, you cannot have friends of any other faith, and they're all disbelievers, they're all infidels, then you know read for yourself what exactly is the Holy Quran saying when it says about when it speaks to the Muslims, saying that do not defile or do not take the name of, of, of people's gods or beliefs mm. or, or scriptures in in a bad name. Mm. When it talks about protecting the churches and the synagogues, first, the cloisters. First. Exactly. And then at the end, mosques. Yeah. But let's look at the meaning of the word Muslim, the literal meaning. Look, we Muslims, we refer to Prophet Adam as Hazrat Adam. Mm. Why do we give him that respect? Because we say, oh, he was a Muslim. People say, what? How can Adam be a Muslim? Because he believed in one God. What's the literal meaning? A Muslim, i.e. the follower of Islam is a Muslim because he believes in one God. What's the literal? That's the literal meaning. The one who submits. The one who submits. Right. To who? Submits to one God. Yeah. That's a Muslim. Hence, Jesus was a Muslim. Adam was a Muslim. All the prophets before him were Muslims. Yeah. Brother Raza, do yeah. beat me up here and correct no, me. No, no, I, I fully agree with you. So technically speaking, in everyone... Fact, in fact, Quran uh, talks so, about, you know, so many... Uh, talk, I think Quran talks about uh, Prophet Abraham. So so, so the definition yeah. that, that, that gets thrown about of an infidel, the word Muslim <laughs> destroys this notion of infidel, of anybody who doesn't believe in the Holy Prophet, my peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, is, is an infidel. But mm. then people who believe in Jesus, people believe in, 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 in all the other prophets... How can that be an infidel? Again, you, somebody we, should. We, we cannot. You, you're right. We don't have, like if 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 you read the Holy Quran, you it's not possible. You would become a non-Muslim yourself. Exactly by calling someone an infidel. Exactly. Like meaning, I mean, you, a Christian That's, cannot be an infidel. A Jew cannot be an infidel. No. A Buddhist, a Hindu, not possible. Uh, Again, this but is all from the teachings of the Holy Quran. One hundred percent, you know, gentlemen. There absolutely cannot be any disagreement with what you're saying. Islam absolutely abhors violence and abhors uh, uh, um, uh, even hurting anybody's sentiments. Forget about killing anybody. Yeah. Killing one person is akin to killing mankind, is what the Quran says. The point that I would want to go back to is, brother Kiyum, if you know. Your wife doesn't like sugar uh -huh. in her cup of tea. Uh -huh. Would you put sugar in her cup of tea he every would, time you would, make her would, cup of tea? He would. He would. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, would, asking, uh, you're asking the yeah, wrong yeah, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he would, yeah, definitely. Two, two spoons full of sugar. Maybe huh. put some tea in the sugar. How about that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just right. joking here. Yeah. But the thing is, you see, look, 
Uh, Brother Daniel, just finish, finish your, finish your. No, no, that, that's finished. I mean, that's the point that I'm making. I mean, why would you, would you ever, if you want, if you know that you want to create a healthy home, you want to create a harmonious home, hmm. would you do things that you know the other person doesn't like? Forget about deep distress. Okay, you see, I agree with you. However, again, I'll, I'll come back to it from a however point of view. We need, we as people, we as Muslims also, need to kind of get away from altruism. What on 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 a definition, I would agree with you. In reality, it's very different. It would be very different. In reality, we sometimes become slaves to. Well, that's the way it is. Just deal with it. So if we are going to deal with it, let's deal with it with the authentic teaching that is being taught to us. We don't deal with it with mm. the teaching because we don't go back to the word that's written in the Holy Quran. Mm. We go back to it from the narrative that we are being offended by. Do you get me? What I'm trying to say is the mainstream media are only successful if we respond to what yeah, they are they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they, and we actually that's, do that's respond. That's the fuel that they get, absolutely. We are, are responding. They thrive on our response. Whereas our response needs to be what the Holy Quran and the Holy no, no, Book teaches no us. No things about that. That's no what I'm talking about. about. Yeah, yeah. That's why holy books are important. And look, the authenticity of the Holy Quran is not something Muslims talk about. This is written by, again, is something I'm, you know, I'm repeating. People from all walks of life, scientists hmm. have have said, hmm. it's it's amazing. Um, scientists who used to be atheists have yeah. started to believe in God because once they they actually, you know, read the teachings of the Holy Quran, and they've said and that that wow, some of the some of the things that um, science have um, has developed over the decades. Yet they have found references in the Holy Quran um, of the development and the and the new progressive theory or a progressive um, a therapy that they have found um, or a solution that they might have found, be it in a medical field or scientific field or space field. Yet there is a verse which is attributed to that development in the Holy Quran. Again, you just need to read it. And that's the thing. What's the first word that was revealed to the Holy Prophet, my peace and blessings of Allah? Read. There you go. Just for the benefit of the listener, Ikra was the first word, meaning read, as Brother Daniel said. Yeah. Why? Why don't we ever think? Why was the word mm. read <laughs> written? Mm. What's the meaning of the word? What's, what's, what's Quran mean? Excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. Read. And, and read is the last thing we, we do as exactly. a Muslim. Not only, not only the Quran, it's about the Quran. Read in general. Yes. Read in knowledge in general. Scientific knowledge you know, specifically. It, 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 you come from the personal development world. Readers are leaders. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. Yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah. To me, that comes from Ikra. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I say that because brother, 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 brother Rosa is going to be in Germany. Yeah, he's soon. he's he's getting ready for his Germany trip as well. You're <laughs> brushing up on that Germany. Eh? Yeah, yeah, genau, yeah. Guten Tag, guten Tag. <laughs> Gut <laughs> gemacht. Yeah, yeah means what in German? Yeah means yeah. Yes. Yeah means yeah. yeah, means, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just for the benefit yeah. of the listeners, there is um, a annual convention that is happening in Germany. Uh, at the end of the month or the first week of September, 
again, it will be more or less the same thing that has happened in the United Kingdom over the past few weeks. But um, in Germany, it is also happening where there are expected more than 40,000 people that will be coming to this spiritual event. And it also, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Rosa, 100 mm-hmm. years? Yeah, 100 years of the community being established in, in Germany. In Germany. So yeah. it's a milestone in Germany. 1923, yeah. Wow. So there's going to be there's going to be some tears. There's going to be some mm. there's going to be some it's going to be a powerful yeah. powerful Lucky environment. Be so we head. we may yeah. we may have something on our socials that we're going to put out yes. because as I said uh, you and me we we are going to be We there. will be traveling there so um keep an eye out on the socials and uh, yeah inshallah we will post out something because I'm sure they're going to have some interesting uh, exhibitions and it's it's a new place it's a yes. new location so we'll probably show you around um, just, just, just to see what's happening there. Are we going to be seeing you on MTA? Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. no. Okay, we'll miss uh, you. Then. No, that's so, just. Um, so, that's UK. So, I don't. I don't do our uh, so sorry gigs, gigs outside the UK. <laughs> he, I don't do that. He, that. That's not part of his UK contract. I'm, I'm, I'm just. He's, yeah. he's, he's I'm bound by contract. He's, exclu- <laughs> he's exclusive. Don't you know? <laughs> right. Gentlemen, it is the weekend. We are coming up to the hour. Um, uh, Brother Raza, I mean, as always. Um, handing over to you to to say your final words for the for the show but before i do please forgive any shortcomings uh from our part please remember us in your prayers um brother Azar, please do finish off and brother daniel any any parting words no I'm, I'm nothing but um you know uh, all the best with your uh, with your journeys have safe journey and um, come back safe awesome. brother Azar. i would like to conclude with a verse from the Holy Quran and again this is talks about um, the interfaith harmony that the Holy Quran has prescribed it, it was in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well that we found that the way he called people towards Islam the way he 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 preached um, the message of Islam was in a, in a loving and a soft and a peaceful manner. So in the Holy Quran, in chapter 5, it says, And we have revealed to you the book in truth, confirming that which preceded it of the scripture and as a criterion over it. So judge between them by what Allah has revealed and do not follow their inclinations away from what has come to you of the truth. To each of you, we prescribed a law and a method. Had Allah willed, he would have made you one nation united in religion. But he intended to test you in that, in what he, he has given you. So raise to all that is good. To Allah is your return altogether. And he will then inform you concerning that over which you used to differ. From all of us here, thank you very much for listening in. We'll be back with you on Monday, inshallah. Have a great weekend. Have a great evening ahead. Assalamu alaikum and may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all.